well. This morning, we are going to continue with our series in Colossians. Um, We've been focusing on this idea of Christ alone, and um, we're just hanging out in this letter. We're going through it verse by verse. We're plowing through the book at a steady pace. We're not trying to rush through it, but we're trying to see all that the Holy Spirit would want to speak to us through this letter. We're trying to take in the richness of what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write, to observe the details of what was written, and then discern what is the Holy Spirit speaking to us, how he desires for us to apply his word in our own lives. And so far, we've looked at the first eight verses of this letter. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to dive into that in just a second. In these eight verses that we've looked at so far, we've seen that it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he's with his fellow minister, Timothy. And they've been working together for a while, and they are hearing news of this new uh, group of believers in in the village or town of Colossae. And that is a place that is in modern-day Turkey. And these Colossian believers are people whom Paul has never met. He's only heard about their faith and their belief. And so he's writing to these believers to try to encourage them and to help them and to deal with some things that they're facing. So his journeys had not taken him through or even close by Colossae, but the gospel message had made it there. A number of the people have believed. And so in the opening lines, Paul expresses his thanks to God for their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for all the saints. And for the wonderful work of the gospel among them. And it's here that we're going to begin this morning. We're going to begin at Colossians 1, verse 9. Where it says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the things that you inspired individuals such as Paul to write. And as we dig into your word today, we ask that you would open our eyes that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our minds that we might understand. And open our hearts that we might receive all that you are wanting to show us, to encourage us with, so that we can keep being transformed and becoming more Christ-like in our lives day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in these verses, Paul launches into a wonderful prayer for the believers at Colossae. And remember, he has never met them personally. He did not share the gospel with them. He's only heard about their faith. And so he is remembering them as he prays. And he prays two specific things for them. 
because he has a heart to see them, his siblings in Christ. They are his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he wants them to grow and flourish in the Lord. So let's look at these requests today. And as we go through these today, I'm going to encourage you to take a two-pronged approach to these points. One prong is going to be a way for us to pray for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. The other prong is a personal assessment for you and how you are doing in maybe some of these areas. So let's take a look at these requests. Paul's first request to God for the Colossian believers was that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul knows that they have received the gospel by faith in Christ Jesus, and now he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. His desire for them is that they would receive a thorough and true understanding of the truth of the gospel. They received it by faith, they received the gospel, they got a part of it, and now he prays that they would receive more and more understanding, that it would grow, that it would flourish, that it would develop, and that this understanding would be given to them by the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, is now at work in their lives. Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century English preacher, discussed Paul's prayer like this. He says, He, Paul, knew that spiritual ignorance is the constant source of error, instability, and sorrow. And therefore, he desired that they might be soundly taught in the things of God. Paul passionately desires that they would know God's will, his plans and desires, which are based on his character and his purposes. He prays that they would know God and that they would continue to develop their relationship with the God whom they now serve. And that this new relationship would become deep, that it would become rich in their lives, that it would be something that would just grow and flourish and and just blossom in them. And as this happens, they will become stronger in their faith. If we think about the parable of the soils that Jesus teaches in Matthew 13, I think that Paul is praying that they would be like the good soil, where the seed of the gospel grew and it flourished and it was bountiful. There was substance to it. It was hardy. It was strong. Because the comparison in that parable is that it could be seed that fell among the thorns, which got choked out by the thorns, the cares of this world. Or it could be the seed that fell among the rocks, which just did not have enough space to take root. It, and so when things happened, they just kind of wilted and, and faltered and petered out. Paul does not want these Colossian believers to end up like that thorny or rocky soil. He does not want their faith to peter out. He wants to grow and flourish. That's his heart His desire is that they would be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so he wants them to experience fully the life that Jesus gave them and that they have now received. And he doesn't want that just to be a one-time thing, but that it would just continue to grow day by day, that they would grow stronger and stronger. And he understands that true spiritual growth begins with the knowledge of God's will. And he knows that comes through the guidance of and direction of the Holy Spirit. So he's praying that not only would they grow in the knowledge of his will, but that the Holy Spirit's influence would be the one who comes and makes that possible. 
He knows that this is not some unattainable concept. It's not some deep mystery that you have to have years and years of schooling. You just need to keep walking with the Lord. You see, the will of God is very practical and applicable for our lives. It's not some ethereal concept out here. It's something that we can know as we know him and as we grow in him. We can know his will because of who he is, his character, his plans, his purposes. And it is found in knowing and following Christ personally. As the Holy Spirit enables, we are able to recognize and understand God's will as we walk with him. We can apply the truth of his word to our daily decisions, our attitudes, and our actions. And being filled with the knowledge of his will comes as we live by his power and follow his teaching and his example each and every day. Then, stemming from this request, Paul launches into his second request for the Colossian believers, and it's this, that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. He prays that the desired effect would come to be. So look at the progression in verses 9 and 10, where he says, we're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Paul has experienced personally, and he has seen it happen in multitudes of lives, that as you are filled with and you grow in the knowledge of the Lord, it will change your life. So he prays specifically for that, that they would grow in that knowledge so that they can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, of the faith that they have now received. That through the knowledge they received through the Holy Spirit, the Colossian believers would now honor and please the Lord in everything. Since they have received the gospel truth by faith and are growing in spiritual knowledge, his prayer is that they would now live according to that same knowledge they've received. To me, it's this idea that I want and I choose to live my life in a way that shows the worth. It shows the value of the Lord to me. The value of Jesus and what he has done for me, and we're going to get to some of those acts, propels me to live differently than I did before. Because I've received the truth of the gospel, and because I am understanding more and more of his will, I now push aside my former ways, and I choose to live according to God's ways. I say, yes, I will follow you, Lord. I will do what you're asking. I allow the Holy Spirit to open my heart and my mind to the better way, to Jesus' way. And I don't earn salvation by living this way, and I never can earn it. Instead, I walk. I live in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. That shows his immense value. My walk shows the value of the Lord in my life. That's how it should be. In Matthew 3, 8, John the Baptist said it like this, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And this isn't like bear, ah, this is like bear, produce fruit. Produce fruit in keeping, in alignment with the repentance that you are engaging with. As believers, we should be living in a way that shows we have believed the gospel, not just in our heads. We don't just think it up here and, okay, that's good enough. We want to live it out 
with every single part of our lives. And as we continue to walk with Jesus and grow in him, hopefully we can bear fruit as evidence of the new nature that we have in him. And we can live in a way that brings honor and positive attention to the Lord. Even in his prayer, Paul is reminding them of their newfound status in Christ. They, and all of us, have been adopted into the family of God. He calls us now to walk like a child of God. You've been adopted into the family of God, now act as though you are a member of the family of God. And that's what Paul is calling them to, even as he's praying for them. Walk in such a way that glorifies God and brings him pleasure and joy. It's like when your child does something amazing and you brag on them just a bit. That's my boy. That's my daughter. We have those moments where we brag on our kids because of who they are, and you see that they're flourishing in the things that they have learned and they have taught. Maybe you taught them personally. And I think the Lord loves us so much, and he also is so pleased when he sees us walking in a manner worthy of the things that he has done on our behalf. He's like, that's my boy. That's my daughter. See? She's overcoming. She's walking in faith. She's making the right choice. So Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in spiritual wisdom and understanding and that they would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. He then expands on this second request and he's praying for four specific ways that they would walk worthy of the Lord and please him. The first way is this. Paul prayed that they would please and honor the Lord by bearing fruit in every good work. His desire for them is that they would be fruitful in all of their outward work, all of their actions, all of their activities. The good works would be the fruit of their relationship with Jesus. The evidence of the fruit would show that there is life within that the work that is happening inside of them would begin to pour out in, in how they conduct their lives. They would bear fruit that shows the activity of Jesus, the activity of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And for the believer, it just shows that we are responding to his work. Jesus spoke of this idea of bearing fruit a few different times. In Matthew 7, he says it like this. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits." Jesus taught that a person will be recognized by their fruits. And for extra emphasis, he said it twice in those verses. In his illustration, you are either healthy and producing good fruit, or you are diseased and producing bad fruit. You cannot be healthy and have bad fruit, and you cannot be diseased and have good fruit. It just doesn't work. In this vein, Paul prays that they would produce or bear good fruit. That they would produce fruit that reflects the life change that Jesus has brought about and that the Holy Spirit is continuing to do with them. 
And as I mentioned, Jesus talked about it a couple times. And there's another section in John 15, verses 4 and 5, where he says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And then in verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Here, Jesus doesn't speak of good or bad fruit. Rather, he speaks of the ability to bear fruit, coming only from remaining connected to him. It's important that we remain connected to Jesus in our daily lives in order to have fruit. Using the illustration of a vine and branches, he reveals the spiritual principle of having an ongoing relationship with him. I think of it this way. During the summer, we will typically plant some tomato plants. In our new place, we had two pots um, on the side of our yard. And I don't know if you're like us. Some years we have really good years. Some years, not so much. But what I've noticed is that when it comes to our tomato plants, at some point, a branch might get broken off. Or there might be a little severing. The weather got to it a little bit. Maybe we didn't water it enough. Um, Whatever it might be, that the branch starts to separate. And what I notice then is that branch doesn't have any fruit on it. The tomatoes are not growing. They're not flourishing. They're not becoming well-developed because they're separated. Even if there's just a little sliver, maybe you'll get something, but usually not as well as those branches that are still well-connected, well-ingrained with the rest of the plant. And I use that as a visual for myself to think, I have to stay connected with Jesus day by day. For when I don't, that's when things don't go as well. I'm not trusting him like I should. There is not fruit that's happening. There might be more anxiety. There might be more other things that that pop up and try to flourish in my life until I reconnect and get back ingrained with the vine, Jesus. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember that we need to stay connected so that we can bear fruit in every good work that we have. If, if we're not connected, we don't produce good fruit in our lives. But when we are, then and only then will we bear fruit that shows and proves that we are his disciples. And this prompts Paul to pray that we would be bearing fruit in every good work. Another way Paul prayed that they would please and honor the Lord is by increasing in the knowledge of God. He wants them to be growing in all inward knowledge of God. He wants them to experience the Lord God Almighty personally and thus be knowing him more and more. He knows that as they experience him, they would become more mature in their Christian faith. It would become more solidified, more real. They would be more grounded 
with a solid foundation on which they would stand. And that foundation would be stronger and deeper and more firm as they are increasing in that knowledge. They're, just as they're being connected and they're able to bear fruit, they're experiencing him more and more. A.W. Tozer wrote this in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It is immensely important for us to have our view of God as correct and true as possible. For from that view, all of our ethics, all of our beliefs, all of our actions are going to flow. Thus, Paul prayed that the Colossian believers, and again, us today, would continue to increase in knowing the true nature and character of God. For it will then shape who we are, how we respond, and even how we do or do not yield or surrender to his ways. We need to know him, who he is. Unfortunately, it's not like we believe in Jesus and choose to follow him and we get this massive and complete download in our lives. It's not that all of a sudden, like, we have this flash drive that just kind of gets plugged in and everything gets dumped. We know everything we need to know about the Lord and we can move on. We know in part and we continue to grow day by day as we stay connected and as we seek him. I think if we were to get a massive download all at once, I think it might kill us. Like, the enormity would just blow our minds. It, we would, you know, we'd have danger, Will Robinson. You know, we'd have this system malfunction happening in us. So by his grace, he allows us to experience him little by little, day by day, in chunks that we can handle. And over time, we understand more about him. We learn at a pace that's appropriate to us, and we can absorb different lessons at different times. But how wonderful it is that as we seek him and as we try to remain connected to him, we will understand things such as he is infinite. As much as any one of us can understand he is infinite. That he has no beginning, he has no end, he doesn't change, he's Um, He's immutable. He's unchangeable. Everything about him is the same. It has always been, it is right now, and it always will be. He doesn't change. How wonderful that is to know that we serve a God who doesn't change. That he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He can do anything. He has all the authority. He has all the power. He can make it happen according to his plans and his purposes. Even when I don't understand. But that even as he gives us his power, for he tells us that he gives us power time and time again, his power is not reduced. His power is there. He has all power, and yet he can still give it to us. Like, my mind gets blown sometimes when I think about that. But he has all power. His nature and his character never change. He is faithful. And just like he was to Abraham, Moses, and others, he is faithful now and will be faithful through the end of time as we know it. 
He is full of mercy. He is full of grace. He is abundant love. And the list goes on and on. And I think each of us can come up with different ways to describe how we've experienced the Lord and how good he is. And that's the kind of knowledge that Paul is praying that we would increase in, that we would increase in not only head knowledge, but experiential knowledge where, okay, I read he's faithful. Oh, let me tell you how I've experienced that he's faithful. That makes it that much more like, oh, you don't know my Lord like I do. Because I've experienced his faithfulness. I've experienced his generosity. I've experienced his goodness. Paul is wanting those things for us. He moves on and prays a third way um, so that they would please and honor the Lord. And it is by being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Here he is praying for the power of God to strengthen them in order to stand against the things that opposed them. Anyone have anything that opposes you from time to time? He's praying that they would have the power of God growing within them so that they will have strength to overcome. And he will address some of the issues that they were specifically facing later on in the letter. And he knew that only by the power of God within them would they be able to endure those challenges. God's strength is available to help us meet all of life's challenges. Can I get an amen? God is there and he wants to help us endure and overcome problems, circumstances, and even people with patience and joy. Paul understood from his own experience that it was the Holy Spirit at work in him which provided the power he needed to face the obstacles that popped up and overcome some significant challenges, even as he was sharing the good news of Christ. And he desperately prayed that this same power would infuse the Colossian believers, so that they too could face the obstacles that they were already facing and the ones that would be coming down the road. He desired that the power of the Holy Spirit would be activated in their lives so that they would have all endurance and patience with joy. And that endurance, patience, and joy could only come through the Holy Spirit. I think it's safe to say that we all face struggles. We all see or endure suffering at at different times because we live in a sin-corrupted world which is not getting better on its own. Jesus himself told his disciples at the very last meal they shared together, in this world you will have tribulation or troubles. Even as believers, we don't get a free pass. We don't get a get-out-of-trouble card. We still will face difficult trials and opposition in our lives. So we need the power of God in order to stand firm in him and to stand against the tide of evil, sinful influences that are engulfing our world. Thus, Paul prayed that they would continually be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might the magnificent might of the all-powerful, almighty God. Paul's final request for the Colossian believers was that they would be giving thanks to the Father. This, too, would be an expression of a walk worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him. He was praying for them and encouraging them at the same time to have hearts continually flowing with gratitude for the wonderful things 
that their God and Father had done for them. Having a genuine, overflowing heart of gratitude can be very powerful and attractive. In this day and age, someone who is grateful and thankful, we almost notice more because it is going against the stream of culture. It can be so refreshing, perhaps even startling, when genuine gratitude is being expressed. And how much more so when it is a reflection of the works that God has done in our own lives. And in this final request of Paul, he reminds the believers of a few specific works that God has done on their behalf. As a kickstart, if they needed it, to express thanks to the Father, he gives them these things. At the end of verse 12, he reminds us that the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God the Father initiated the plan that allows us to be a part of the inheritance of the saints. And it's not something we've earned. We'll never be able to earn it. Instead, he has qualified you and me. He has rendered us fit to share in that inheritance. So guess what? You have an inheritance. In this world, you may be like, oh no, I don't. But you have an inheritance in the Lord. An awesome thing to look forward to. He has made the way for you and me. He continues in verse 13 and says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Before coming to Christ in faith, we were shackled, we were enslaved to the domain of the devil and his forces of evil. But God has rescued us, he's delivered us out of that domain, he has taken us from that. And as the verse continues, he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Not only did he rescue us and bring us out of the domain of evil, but he also has brought us into Christ's kingdom. And we are now under his rule and authority. Everything we have and everything we are now belongs to him, and we are under the protection. We are under the governance. We are under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. But wait, there's more. Verse 14 says, We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We commemorated communion earlier and we talked about our sins being forgiven. Jesus paid that price because we were enslaved in sin, but we have been redeemed. It's this idea that a price for our release has been paid. Something had to be paid in order for us to be released from the shackles and that enslavement that we found ourselves in. And Jesus did that through his blood. And we are free. Our sins are forgiven. The corresponding guilt is gone. They are removed. And we get to walk in new life. There's no longer a barrier between God and us. We have our slates wiped clean. They are gone. They are removed because Jesus paid the price. Praise the Lord for the great things he has done. 
So let's review this beautiful prayer of Paul for the Colossian believers. And as we do, let's consider it again in that two-pronged approach one last time. One, as a prayer for our fellow believers. And two, as an assessment and possibly a prayer for ourselves. Paul prayed that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That you would bear fruit in every good work. That you would increase in the knowledge of God. That you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And that you would give thanks to the Father. As we close, I want you to imagine the transformation that would occur if we were to pray this type of prayer for one another and for other believers around the world. To intercede for each other, seeking the spiritual growth of our, our fellow believers. To ask God for these things. Who knows what he might do if we were to pray in ways like this. So as we close in prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able to. And I'm going to ask you to do something that might be a little different, might be a little uncomfortable because we don't do this very often. I'm not going to force you, but I am going to ask you to do something small as an act of faith for this church family. I'm going to ask that you would just take the hand of the person next to you as we pray. If you don't feel comfortable holding hands, you can lock elbows or or do knuckles or, or something like that. But as an act of faith, On behalf of each other, I want to pray this prayer over our church. And I'm asking you to agree by faith with me in prayer in this way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for the faith of my dear brothers and sisters here at Portview and those who are participating online and for our brothers and sisters who follow you throughout this world. Thank you for the love that they have for each other and for all the saints. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. I ask that you, O Lord, would fill each of us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I ask that you would, as a result, enable us to walk in a manner worthy of you. And that our lives would be fully pleasing to you in every way. I pray that each of my brothers and sisters would continually bear fruit in every good work that they put their hands to. I humbly ask that all of us would increase in the knowledge of you. That we would experience you in ways that deepen and enrich our knowledge of you, that just continue to help bolster our faith. I ask that you would again and again strengthen us with all power by the Holy Spirit, according to your glorious might, so that we will be able to endure, that we will be able to be patient with joy as we face obstacles and troubles. And I ask that you would help us to give you thanks and praise constantly. You have done such incredible things on our behalf 
And we are grateful. Help us to praise you in the ways that we can and give thanks to you for what you have done. We ask all of this in the mighty and glorious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.